Hey, Call Out Cultists, what's up? It's Alaska. Uh, we got a real cool episode this week. Um, as you know, I'm a huge horror fan, and uh, one of my favorite horror podcasts is the Halloweenies podcast. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to sit down with one of the hosts, Mr. Mike Vanderbilt, and we got into all matter of sub- uh, subjects this week. So, not just horror, not really much rap, but just a lot of talk about cool music, cool movies, cool shit that's going on. We talked Chicago talk New York. We talked a whole bunch of fun shit. So sit back, enjoy, and uh, without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Hey, Call Out Cultists. It's uh, your friendly old man host, Alaska, here for a special episode. Uh, I'm joined today by a man whose voice I've come to, to know and hold dear, uh, through my many hours of listening to the Halloweenies podcast. Uh, please welcome Mr. Mike Vanderbilt to the show. Oh, that means the world to me. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, no problem, always, When I was, you know, starting podcasting, I, that was what was a concern of mine. Will people be able to tolerate my very distinctive voice? I think the distinctive voice is something that really helps, you know, sort of define the podcast, right? You know, all the other guys just sound like sort of like indie rock guys. You're like, all right, I get it. You guys write for Consequence of Sound, but then there's that voice that comes through. And, and louder than everybody else do. <laughs> louder than, yeah, yeah. I grew up a couple blocks away from a freight train. That's why I have to speak okay. heard. There you go. So so if you, if you wouldn't mind just sort of giving us like a quick, quick, uh, you know, elevator pitch of your history and and maybe a, a little quick in, introduction to what the podcast is. So, well, I joined, the, I, I've i been kind of, uh, what do I want to say, kicking around like the, the writing world and the creative world. Well, most of my adult life, I've played in rock and roll bands. I had a couple podcasts a couple of years ago that I started with some friends, which, you know, like most podcasts, the pitch, it was called Drinks on Monday. And the pitch was me and my friends drinking in a kitchen and talking about stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know it did fine for what it was uh, I never really saw anything taken off and you know I, I freelanced at the AV club and I was an assistant editor at Daily Grindhouse and I tried my hand at movie criticism and uh, music criticism and I, I, I was always trying to do something you know and I, and as being a bartender it allowed me the hours to do that and nothing was ever clicking and then uh, the Halloweenies podcast, when uh, Halloweenies podcast premiered on Concept Got to Sound, I was already friendly enough with Mike Rothman and Justin uh, Gerber and Matt Gerber and uh, Dan Caffrey. But uh, I remember listening, I was going to get a haircut and I was listening to that first episode of Halloweenies, seething because I wasn't <laughs> asked to be a part of it. Not that I was like that friendly with them or anything like that, but I have a lot of stuff to say about Halloweenies. And then, you know, they, they ran through that season. They got to Elm Street. They said, hey, you want to come in and sit, on, sit in on a couple? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And they give me five and six. Like, man, wow. fuck you guys. Why would, <laughs> come on, come on. I like, I mean, I like five. I think the only the reason was like, I could actually say things I like about five and six, but you couldn't give me three, even two. Come on, man. And then I was, uh, you know, I, I, I had done well on those shows and I was surprised. They asked me, do you want to come on for Friday the 13th? Uh, at the you know the start of 2020 mm-hmm. and I, I didn't I thought it was gonna be a temporary gig but they said yeah well you're gonna stick around afterwards right sure and I'm so glad they asked me that only because I mean we've all, I mean it, it's a cliche to say at this point to talk be talking about 2020 and the pandemic and everything but it, I don't want to give it I don't want to I don't want to sound too sanctimonious but being part of Halloween is like 
really helped me get through that. Because if I didn't have uh, something to look forward to, something to research, something to work on that I knew people were going to listen to every month, I would have gone nutty sitting in this house all by myself. Oh, I, I could imagine. I mean, honestly, like, you know, Halloween's was something that helped me get through. Like every morning, you know, I, I, I caught on to you guys late because. Um, yeah, that's a good question I, for, I guess, for you. How did you yeah. find out about the Halloweenies? So um, I, I kind of came to you through, I guess, Gorley and Rust. Are you familiar with their, their podcast? What's the, is that the name of the podcast? Yeah, it, they do something similar where they go through like a, a season, not a season, like a series. So the first one was like um, in Myers, we trust with Gorley and Rust. Uh, like and then art- it was like- I'm not familiar with them, but I'm, I, I definitely appreciate their artwork that they have. Yeah, so, so there are two, two comedians, like um, one guy's Matt Gorley, who I'm not super familiar with, but um, Paul Rust, um, I don't know if you ever saw the TV show, the Netflix show Love. I'm familiar with it. It's uh, based in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, no, the, I thought it was L.A. I thought maybe I'm confusing that with another one. Oh, well, he, he created the show and he's like star in the show. It's yeah, like I'm thinking and... of another one. I'm thinking of the Joe Swanberg one. I got those. OK. Ones. Yes. Yeah. So I, I knew him from that. But I at the start of the pandemic, um, I have a at the time she was 10 and she was dying to watch horror movies. Um, that's a good, I, mean, that's, much... I think that's a fair age of getting I got into him a little bit younger than that. But same. I, uh, 10 I mean cool yeah I mean I, I had to conv- convince my wife but I you know we started <laughs> watching I think we started watching Halloween actually it was the one we started watching so I just started like looking for other podcasts like that and I came across you guys uh and so I would start listening just have like look, cool little facts that I could always tell her about the movies as we're watching them and we go through and we went through all the series like we went through the daughter listened to Halloweenies with you she didn't. She didn't listen to. She's like I'm really saying, like. I, I, <laughs> it can get it, it can get a little sophomoric on there. Yeah. Well, she's also she's t- ten, so she doesn't have that long long form attention span yet. Oh, I think. sure. And not for a three hour podcast, right? Yeah. So so we we've a couple times like listened. I think we listened to a couple of the Scream episodes in the car, um, but she kind of tunes out after a little while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, but that's kind of how I found you. I was just like, I was looking for something similar to like the, the Voorhees and Russ, where it was just like sitting and listening to friends talk about horror movies, because I had that when I was growing up. And then I had a period where I, I kind of stopped watching horror movies and then I came back to them and I didn't have anybody to talk to them about. So it was nice to hear people talk to them about it like that. For as, as much as I'm kind of known for liking horror movies, I did go through a stretch in the 2000s or I missed a lot of the new stuff because I just wasn't interested in it anymore. Same. Didn't mean I wasn't like, that was the era of when Netflix still had discs. So I was still going back and watching stuff that I had missed and stuff that I always mm-hmm. loved. But when like the J-horror movement was just something that kind of went over my head and I never really got into it. Yeah, that, that was like the ring and stuff like that, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah same thing. I watched one American or two remakes. and I was like, meh. Yeah, and and I didn't really like the the torture porn stuff either. Like uh, Hostel, Saw was okay. It was kind of like you well, know the first Saw. The first Saw is interesting because it it it's a B movie, but it kind of feels like an A list movie because mm-hmm. you have Carrie Elways and you have Danny Glover. Yeah, and it kind of feels a little bit. I hesitate to use the term elevated, but it feels like you know above what it became because then yeah. it just slowly became Drek. Uh, as the series went on i think i made it till about part four okay where i was like i can't i don't know i i I just wasn't interested i didn't care anymore 
Yeah, but it, same. It, it can be creative at times. And Eli Roth, Eli Roth, I, I like Eli Roth, if only because of his, you know, his, how much he loves the genre and his expertise on it. But the Hostel movies never did. But my favorite, my favorite Eli Roth movie is uh, The Green Inferno. Oh my God, it's so good. I, and I feel like that one's derided. And here's the thing. I don't like cannibal movies. Mm-hmm. The, the cannibal, as far as exploitation cinema goes, the cannibal ones are the ones that interest me the least. I've probably yeah. seen Cannibal Holocaust all at once. I think I finally sat and watched the whole thing when it showed on Joe Bob Briggs last season. But I feel like with The Green Inferno, Eli Roth took all the elements and actually made one that was not only watchable, but enjoyable. Yeah. And it kind of teeters on that line between satire and just making a really good and gory cannibal movie of course with all and without all the animal cruelty yeah it's, it's always good where they're you know, not of a film like milo and otis heads. of a film yeah. like milo and otis yeah exactly air bud um so yeah so like i i kind of came back into it when i watched terrifier i don't know if you've seen that one i have not it, it's a really good exploitation film uh it came out maybe like three or four years ago um and it's a, about a killer named art the clown okay no history on him. Good. No history. He just kind of shows up in the, these people's lives and goes completely apeshit killing people. Um, it's like you don't get any background on him. It's just really like complete exploitation. Um, a real memorable killer. Like really, to me, like potential to be like up there with Freddie, Jason, Michael Which Myers. It's rare to find these days because even, really when they, rare, yeah. even when they come close, it almost will feel just like a carbon copy, a pale imitation yeah. of the original. So when they're when one comes around and they have like all the markings, you know, it's got to have, you know, some kind of personality, not necessarily telling jokes like Freddie, but mm-hmm. there has to be a personality to the character and a cool costume and cool deaths. When you hit that trifecta, that's when you know you've got something special on your hands. They really nailed it. They're coming out with Terrifier 2 around the around uh, Halloween. Okay. You know, they, they, they say it's going to be bigger, gory, better than the original. Um, we'll see. I mean, if, if they do, I think it could really just catapult the character. Oh, you oh, I thought you said terror fire. You're talking about terrifier. Yeah. Oh, I haven't, I haven't seen it, but everybody raves about this movie. It's unbelievable. It's uh, it was shot in Wisconsin, I believe. Jersey. Oh, that's the Jersey one. There was another yeah. one in Wisconsin where they had a real clown going around and it turned out to be part of a, a real movie that was being made and i cannot remember what the name of it was that's the jersey one now okay yeah so the, i think some of the guys involved in this might have been involved in the clown the like the the like clown sightings that were going on in wisconsin okay okay maybe so that, I, that that's exactly what it was then yeah because i there was there was a thing like it was it was pretty good uh, really really good ballyhoo i would yeah say. it was a good time it was it was a good uh Sort of All like right, so I've got to move. I've got to move Terrifier up the list because I believe the other Halloweenies are fans of that one as well. And as you yeah. know, they can they can be harsh critics. They can. I was really excited when uh, when you all talked about it. I think it was on like a year end list or something because um, it's like one of the first times I've heard people outside of my circle talking about it. But it, it's really quality. I will um, move that. I will move that one up the list. Yeah. So. I always wonder, like, which which of the seasons is your favorite season that you guys have done? Well, obviously Friday the Thirteenth because that was my first one. Yeah, <laughs> and but it's also, also the best series. Well, see, now I disagree. It's like I'm still mad that I wasn't on the whole Elm Street series. Okay, 
The Nightmare on Elm Street series is my absolute favorite horror series. For a minute there in my early 20s, I felt like it was Friday the 13th, but it's Nightmare on Elm Street. And the reason being, all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies are good to great. Mm-hmm. Even your worst Nightmare on Elm Street movie is a million times more imaginative than uh, maybe even the best Friday the 13th or Halloween sequel. Mm. But the Friday the 13th series has so much, had, it, went, it was so much fun doing that season because there was so much to talk about because there's yeah. so much history and just so much content. And there's more good Friday the 13th sequels than there are Halloween sequels. Oh yeah. I think I can stand by that statement as I'm, as, as I'm thinking about it. I, w- I would go so far to say that like the Halloween series is maybe a step above the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series. Now that brings to mind a question that somebody asked me, a new friend of mine at the, cause this happens to me sometimes now. So at the Rock Island public house, right? 10 bar, Blue Island, the South suburb of Chicago, people come in and they'll sit at the bar and they'll, you know, have a drink or two. And then they'll say something like, you know, I don't want to sound weird or nothing, but I listen to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm usually very excited to hear it. Cause then I'm like, Ooh, I could talk to somebody about horror movies. Cause that's really all I want to do. And a gentleman was in there, this guy, Caleb, was saying, he was asking me, what do you think the messiest horror franchise is? And I, he, he thinks, to your point, he said, Texas, he mentioned Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I also met, met, I mentioned Halloween just to kind of get a conversation going. But I think those are the two messy. like Hellraiser's bad. After yeah. part four, it's hard to find <clears throat> any redeemable qualities as far as the the franchise goes uh the witchcraft movies are our own beat have you ever checked out any of the witchcraft movies there's like i've never even heard of the witchcraft movies uh they're very low rent uh they they're they are the i think they might be the bottom of the barrel as far as horror franchise goes they were direct to video drunk that they were just cranking out like i want to say every couple of months but (laughs) when you see the box art you'll remember that okay uh but yeah i think it's got to come down to probably as far as messy goes definitely uh halloween or texas chainsaw massacre but having kind of dived into some of the other texas chainsaw massacres that i avoided i kind of like that series because i love the original mm-hmm. two's fun three's dull four is at least weird have you ever seen uh, texas, texas texas chainsaw massacre in the next generation or aka I, Return? I, yeah. I actually watched all of them leading up to the the oh. re-release because I, I was going on a podcast to talk about it with some other rap nerds that are really into horror um well, that, and that's one thing i love about your show because that's a thing like all the best rappers have a love of horror movies yeah that, and a knowledge that get, puts ours to shame sometimes like snoop dogg's favorite movie is phantasm how cool is really that? he says it's wild there's a, there's a great there's a great clip of him i think probably at some screening of bones or something in la where uh, he mentions Phantasm being one of his favorite movies. And I believe Beyonce, one of Beyonce's, or not that she's rap, but in the hip hop world, Beyonce is a big fan of The Beast Within. Oh my God, I used to love The Beast Within when I was little. Beast Within has one of my favorite video box art, you know, of all time where, you know, we dare you to sit through the last 15 minutes of this movie, you know, without without turn it off. And I just, like I I said, I love that kind of ballyhoo. I I may be misremembering it, but... The Beast Within is the one where he turns somebody inside out at the end, right? Uh, the, God, now I'm trying to remember, but he, he, his mother is assaulted by a giant cicada. Mm-hmm. And then he... he <laughs> yeah, that he, happens. When he's going through puberty, the son, he turns out to be part cicada. 
and then uh, you know terrorizes the town for the final moments of the film. And it's terrific makeup effects, a lot of great bladder effects, very gory, very memorable, very cool picture written by Tom Holland of Fright Night fame and oh, really? uh, Psycho 2. Yeah, so definitely okay. one worth checking out. I'll have to give it a look again. Um, Cause I, I, I just, now I tend to come home. Like I get home after everybody goes to sleep. I put on a horror movie. Usually because I'm an old man, I end up falling asleep halfway through. <laughs> That's and why I, have... I tell people, I love movies with subtitles. I just watch movies that, you know, I put movies at 11 o'clock. I put a black and white subtitle movie. I'll just lull me to sleep. It's like a I'm warm done. blanket. Yeah, it, it really is. It's like, I have to set an alarm on my phone. So I wake up to go to bed. You can actually go lay in your bed. Yeah, yeah, to, to keep things cool at the household. <laughs> uh, but it, it's funny because we did an episode on Halloween um, comparing it to the Nas Illmatic record. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Nas Illmatic record. I'm familiar with it. I don't know enough about it, but I think you mentioned this to me or I definitely saw you post about this. because so I, I didn't have a chance to, but I wanted to check out the episode and check out the album because this sounds compelling to me. So I, it, it's it's really like... Illmatic was this album that came out in like 93. Okay. Um, and it was a genre defining album. Like it, it sort of re-energized the entire genre, um, changed the direction of where music was going as far as rap music was concerned. And everything since has been about bringing it back to that without ever bringing it back to that. Right. So his second record was Unfairly Maligned. Um, it, was, it ended up being a really good record, but it wasn't that classic. Kind of like Halloween 2. You know, like okay. Halloween 2 was more of like he them trying to like stay with like the slasher times, something more bloody, something a little bit more like almost like kind of doing what Friday the 13th was doing. Right. Uh, for Nas's second record, he kind of took what Biggie Smalls was doing, like the sort of like mafioso lifestyle, whereas like Illmatic was just like this 19 year old kid from Queensbridge's view of the world. And he was oh, like was smarter a, was than everybody. Bit, it was a little bit more real. It was very real. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, you know, he, he was like on the cover of New York Times Magazine. Like, that's how important this record was. Um, and this was like back in 93, where they didn't give a fuck about rap. Well, and that's just it. Like that even, I mean, <laughs> you know, rap is obviously around at that point, but it's not as big as it becomes just in a couple of years, right? Yeah. And, and that's what his second album becomes, like a, kind of trying to keep up with what it became a couple of years later. You know, the, the sort of like mafioso lifestyle, um, sort of big money version of what the music was. Like he tried to sort of fall into that world and it was maligned because people didn't want that from him. They didn't want to allow him to grow. But looking back, it's a really good record. You know, well, I remember, the, I remember the cover. I mean, that was one that was uh, I, I worked at record stores all through high school and a little bit through my 20s. And that was always one that uh, we, we sold quite a bit of those. I'm sure. Yeah, it did, it did quite well. And that um, was in the late 90s. So that's even, you know, almost 10 years after it had come out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was one of those records that that stayed doing well. But after that, everything was like, we're going back. We're going back to the original. And it never, you know, never pays off because you can't go back to the original. Right. Just like Halloween can never make a movie as good as the original. Texas Chainsaw Massacre can never make a movie like that again. You are 100 percent right on that, which leads me to did you like the remake? or the, got, the the requel or whatever you want to call it it was really kind of shitty um yeah you know i i wanted to like it i liked it up through where the police van crashed like that whole scene right to like when 
you know, he, he kills the woman in the front seat. I, I thought that was really well done. And after that, it was just like, it kind of went to shit. I mean, it was good and gory. Um, I listened to the, the podcast that you did talking about it with, uh, was it the Epic? The Epic Film Guys. Yeah, they were a fun the Epic bunch. Film Guys. Yeah, so I, I listened to that because I wanted to hear your thoughts before we came on today. And uh, I, I'm kind of where you are. It's like, if it wasn't a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, it would have been super fun. It might be a new um, slasher classic. But yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't even get the mask right on this one. I no. mean, I, that, I, don't, I don't know if we really went into it on the Epic Film Guys podcast, but the more I thought about the movie, the problem with that mask is that they try to make it look realistic, but why do you want a realistic mask in a Texas Chainsaw movie? The best one no. is the first mask. It's, yeah, and it, without it, question. That's probably not what it would look like, like if you actually stitched skin together, but it's the concept, it's the idea. It just looks, it just looks cool. But yeah, that's a, that was a soulless movie with some yeah. memorable moments. And I can't believe that people are still <laughs> debating it. On, on, I don't know how much time you spend on Twitter, but- Too much. St- yeah, me too. People are still arguing about that. And even if you like it or not, it's a stupid movie. And when it's I say a really it, stupid, movie. stupid with two O's, but that can be good sometimes. It but could this, be, yeah. This is not a life, this is, this is not a life altering film. And if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're wasting that much of your day being upset about somebody else's opinion, uh, the latest the la- the latest film in a notoriously lackluster franchise and i don't yeah. know what to tell you to do you need to start building those little ships in a bottle or focus on your writing get a hobby you gotta do what something did, different yeah what, what, did, what, did, what did bill shatner say on saturday night live get a life <laughs> perfect yeah i mean it, you know it was it had some funny moments i thought um like i love kind of love how quickly they dispatched of sally Hardesty. Um, there's something to be said for that i like the idea they did it i liked that notion that he doesn't know who she is that she spent 50 years worrying about this and he i thought that was brilliant but they didn't do enough with it thematically i think they threw a lot of these themes into this blender or threw it all to wall like spaghetti to see what stuck and you get these little you get these little glimpses of oh man that would have been cool if they went there or oh i never thought about it like that and they never really nail the point. They never uh, get it home. And from a, a friend of mine actually contacted me, the guy I mentioned on the show who had been to one of those early pre- uh, test screenings, he said, it's essentially the same movie. They, oh, didn't, really? they didn't do much, um, much reworking hmm. on it. Well, you know, it's, why kind it's, of so problem. it's kind of the problem with Netflix in general. Like most, I find most Netflix stuff is usually like good enough, but it's like 33% wrong. Well, whether even, it's too long or too short or just like doesn't hit what it's supposed to hit. Well, you know, you, you, I know you're a Halloweenies fan, so you, you're familiar with our, uh, our adoration for the Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. Yes. Which was a Netflix <laughs> production. And that's a movie that I, I think thematically, I, I like it. I like the story, but I don't think the special effects are necessarily up the snuff. And I no. think it would have worked better had they hired younger actors. And despite it being Scorsese behind the camera, I think there are large chunks of that movie that don't look like a movie. And despite mm-hmm. him being such an advocate for cinema, they don't look like a movie. They look like a Netflix TV series. Now that's only coming from someone who has only seen, I've never I never got to see it on the big screen. So maybe that's my, maybe my perception is skewed, but I don't feel that cinematic quality in the Irishman. I feel like it is a mini series. Yeah. It, it has that feel to it. Like it, it's like an A&E series. Yes. About the Irish mob. Yeah, and you know, you can do all the 
special effects in the world, but <laughs> 70 year old Mar- uh, Robert De Niro don't move like 1970s Robert De Niro. That that's where they it's lost me, right? When he when he came out and beat up the guy, I looked like he looked like he was gonna hurt his hip walking out there together. But you could have at least put the stunt double in for that one, you know. You know, I mean, you know, you saw the way they did it with Luke and uh the Mandalorian. Yeah, I mean, as much as uh, yeah, I not a big, I, I was not a big fan of them bringing Luke back. I mean, it was great to see one of my favorite characters uh, back, and he's back on Boba Fett, of course, too. And mm-hmm. I appreciate that more in Star Wars movies because Star Wars movies are all about pushing special effects forward. Yeah, and so it doesn't always work, you know. Like the Peter Cushing in Rogue One is good, but it's not yeah. great. Same thing Leia as well. Absolutely, but it's good. Like it's fine. It's not like. Yeah an abomination or something but that's what star wars movies do even going back and looking at that first film my favorite the 1977 original like you can still see it when you watch the versions that weren't altered for specialty you can see mat lines as round oh, yeah. you, know, you can essentially see the strings but it pushed special effects to get to a point where we're at now so you almost have to uh, you know push it just over that edge where you know it's good and you have to work its way up to getting great. And I think the Star yeah. Wars movies are better examples at it. I don't think you need to be doing that in, you know, this kind of very personal, very cool. Like, I love the story of the Irishman. This very personal drama about you know, this man. I don't think that's the place to be. What do I want to say? Uh, you know, not confused. What am I thinking? Distracted by yeah <laughs> these 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 special effects. And, and that's the thing about Scorsese movies in general. Like they bring you into a world. So you don't you don't want something that's going to take you out of it in the first Absolutely. twenty minutes. I think oh man, you put you put the you put the pin on that one. So so what are your thoughts on the Star Wars trip, like the Star Wars movies in general? Because I've heard you mention it briefly, like here and there. You guys mention it, but um, just like of the whole arc of all the Star Wars movies, like what what are you what's your feeling on it? So I was born into a family my mother already loves star wars my mother mm-hmm. my dad says october of 77 i know how they last i don't know how they lasted that long without seeing it he says let's go see the star wars movies every stop out she goes no 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 i don't want to go see that and she said she was mi- instantly converted as soon as that star destroyer and mm-hmm. the two ships killer so i'm born in 1980 now my mom's excited because now this is before adults could buy toys for themselves this wasn't a thing back in 1980 <laughs> so now she could buy the toys and she was buying me the toys. And the first time they got tried to get me to watch Star Wars, probably when I'm like one or two on, on VHS, I sat there and said, this movie's dumb, 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 dumb. Only because I don't like being told what to do. I didn't like yeah. being told what to do then. I don't like being told what to do now. But eventually I sat down and watched it. And I'll tell you what, for most of the 80s, I think that's the only movie. I, I think I watched that movie every day in my parents' basement because wow. they put me in front of the TV. And... I loved watching that movie, which is like why I could probably recite that first one front to back. And I love all the films in the original trilogy, but nothing can touch the, the, the pure magic. Uh, the, I, I think sometimes cinephiles are rather... So somebody once asked me, what's, what, the conversation came up around tomorrow. What are your favorite movies of all time? And I bring up Star Wars and people, oh, no, that's just, that's just popcorn stuff. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm not talking about the franchise as a whole. I'm yeah. talking about that one film as a singular experience, the film that, you know, changed the way movies were made, changed the way movies were marketed, you know, changed the way special effects were done, that, you know, a true cultural phenomenon. So then I'm, you know, 19 when the Phantom Menace comes out and I, like most people, was disappointed, but I still went and saw all three of the prequels mm-hmm. twice. 
<laughs> at the show, you know, thinking like, oh, maybe, maybe I missed something. Maybe I didn't get it. And uh, I'm not, a, I, I can't get on board with the, uh, the recent kind of rehabilitation of the prequels, the, mm-hmm. the sequel trilogy. I think they're all C pluses. I think all three of them are C pluses across the board. I think there's yeah. good and bad stuff in all of them. And the best two things or the best things that come out of the Disney era of Star Wars are the Mandalorian, Rogue One, and my favorite, Solo, a Star Wars story. Solo's much better than it gets credit for. Oh my God. It's a I, good fun romp. So me and Mike Rothman are sitting in the theater at the press screening. This is two weeks before it's coming out, right? So we're like part of that first group of people to see it after they premiered it at Cannes. And we're just kind of giggling through the whole thing. And we're walking out talking about, I can't believe it. They finally got it right. This, this is going to be the hit of the summer. Everybody's going to be talking about it. I wrote a rave review for Daily Grindhouse. And then it came out. And just the, the venom people had for that movie. And I was like, I, 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 I knew I was. But you know, sometimes, when you, sometimes you, you ask yourself, am I wrong? Did, did I miss this? Did I get something wrong? I knew I was 100% right. Oh, you were right. Yeah. In, in that it's movie, a good ass I, movie. And, you know, I, I, although I did start, I have started seeing a little bit more uh, Monday morning quarterbacking on it, people coming around on it. I think the voices that didn't like it were just too loud when it came out, but it's some of John Williams' best work. Uh, I'm neglecting to remember who did the score, the rest of the score, but. What I like about that one, it captures the feel. It captures the essence. It's the first one to do it since the 70s, to capture that essence of the first movie. Now, is Empire Strikes, Strikes Back a deeper movie than Star Wars? Yeah, perhaps. But when you talk about the spirit of that original 1977 film, that gets it right. And Mandalorian comes close, but I think it gets too bogged down in uh, all the Mandalorian lore and mm-hmm. you know, bringing the Jedi stuff in. Part of the cool stuff when Mandalorian started was that there were no Jedi. It was supposed to be like Solo. I don't think yeah. there's any use of the Force in that no. movie outside well, they, of Darth they, Maul at the end. Yeah. And I was confused by that because I didn't keep up with all the cartoons and stuff. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, I nerded out hard on Star Wars. So, like, I, I caught up on all the Clone Wars stuff and I was like... I hear the Clone Wars is excellent. There's a lot of, like, really boring shit in the Clone Wars. <laughs> like, you, you could skip any, like... Uh, Princess uh, Padme episodes, right. they're all terrible. You know, um, I need you to put together like a list of like the 10 best Clone Wars episodes. Okay. I, I will then, say the, the final four of like the, like the newest run they had, like the final four might be one of the best things Star Wars has ever done. I've, I've heard that. I really liked Rebels for the first uh, season or so too before I kind of tuned out on that. Yeah, Rebels, Rebels was pretty good too. It went pretty deep in like the third season, like really into like Jedi lore which was kind of cool and like force stuff and clone wars does that too but the thing that clone wars does does really cool is it does these genre pieces throughout like it'll be like three or four episode arcs where it's like a murder mystery featuring like the stormtroopers see or yeah. like some like conspiracies cool. going on and it's like the storm it's like just really like stormtroopers like following this crew of stormtroopers i think somebody else told me about that arc and was telling me how good it was because i was i had had my you know dug my heels in like i deal with no i deal with any prequel related shit (laughs) but now we're at a point now where even i like when i was watching my favorite episode of book of boba fett was of course the the hangout episode where it was just him and uh amy sedaris building the rebuilding the starfighter but even for me as somebody who doesn't like the prequel shit it's it's kind of cool 
to see how they kind of work that all in and how they are bridging yeah. these worlds. And I mean, I'm really not jazzed about Obi-Wan because I, how much are we, we're back on Tatooine again? Yeah, I know. What, what can happen? I mean, look, <laughs> I've said it before. I am a sucker for anything live action Star Wars. They've got me. They've got yeah, me since 1980. And I will totally sit down and watch it. But I'm curious to see what they do with that. Yeah, I'm hoping for good things. But, you know, I, well, I hey, hope it doesn't have much to do with Luke or anything. Just like right. they him keep, being a broken man in the desert. They keep mucking that up by bringing in Luke. And that's part of the problem. And I think they said, J.J. Abrams said it about The Force Awakens, is that the problem is having, once you have Luke in the movie, the story automatically, you know, all focus goes to Luke. Yeah. You know, he's fucking Luke Skywalker. He's the coolest. And I liked Book of Boba Fett because it was oh, it, people who were mad that it wasn't the Boba Fett that you think that you get in Empire and Jedi, despite oh, the fact that he doesn't do anything. Boba Fett but, has always been a sucker. Yeah, absolutely. But you get that, you get the show with the Mandalorian, you get the show, the Boba Fett show that you wanted. And yeah. with the book of Boba Fett, you're getting that's like you said, that story of an older broken man who's come to terms, come to peace with himself is trying to change. And I just thought, I mean, it doesn't it didn't always click for me, but I preferred the slower pace or not preferred, but I like the slower pace of that one because I didn't want just another Mandalorian. Yeah, because even I, I reviewed two episodes of the Mandalorian for the AV Club last season. It was the one with the Jedi. It was, or it was rather titled the Jedi where we introduced Ahsoka. And then the finale and the finale was cool, but I got, you know, I got called a joyless ed edgelord for giving it the shitty grade of a B. The horrors. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's like, do I need another gunfight? Like it's just spins at wheels. Like I love laser fights in star Wars movies, but you need to, you need to change it up or at least change up the locations. Another gunfight in another Imperial outpost that's yeah. gray and looks the same. We live in this vast universe. And I think we're starting to kind of break that mold on Star Wars television, but I'm afraid they're just going to keep getting stuck in on Tatooines. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm, I have hope that they're going to go back to like the Knights of the Old Republic era, just See, because it's away from all of that stuff. That's what everybody seems to want. I've never played it before, but a friend of mine I used to work with when I attended Bar at Chili's was a big fan of the Knights of the Old Republic game. Okay, I think it was a computer game. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one, but he said it was I, the best Star Wars game that he's ever played. I've watched the like clips, like the, you know, the sort of like the emulator clips. Yeah. Um, and I, I had a period where I just started watching like a lot of like Star Wars, like fan videos talking about stuff. And sure, like, so sure. there's a lot of really good like Sith characters through that world that I think would be really interesting to explore. Um, but, you know, I mean, Star Wars is this huge, gigantic universe and they just focus on one family the whole goddamn time yeah and a dysfunctional family at that yeah exactly exactly <laughs> yeah it'd be like if our whole universe was the trumps yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's good it's like and it's, but you know what though like i said i'm a sucker for like when mandal the mandalorian premiered and yeah they're back on tatooine but man it looks like the star wars that i love as someone who loves that first movie so much mm -hmm. like yeah. all those little touches where it's like it'll be you know this hut in the desert that's very kind of man-made, but then it's got a uh, computer keyboard built yeah. into it. Yeah, it's, it's that ramshackle look that I love from the Star really, Wars series. And I've kind of really enjoyed getting into the Tusken Raider um, sort yeah, that, of background. That was awesome. That. I thought that was great. That was awesome. And I love when TV shows 
take what you previously thought and change your perspective on it, which is one of the reasons mm-hmm. I absolutely adore Cobra Kai. I haven't watched the most recent season, but I do like it's one of those shows that I'm like, I'm not going to watch it anymore. And then I watch it and I love it. Well, because it's easy to like half hour episodes. Yeah. Uh, the And I, I hesitate to say like the stories are simple because it's not this, what I love about the show is how it deals in the gray areas, how who you think is good is not necessarily the best and who you think mm-hmm. is bad. They have, you know, they have their own. There's a reason they are the way they are. And yeah. I just think that maybe if Star Wars had done a little bit more of that with the sequel trilogy, it would have been a more interesting turn. Because I like those three sequel movies. I mean, Force Awakens was great. Last Jedi has a lot of cool stuff. And Rise of Skywalker just seems like a sloppy rush to the finish line. Yeah, that was a real disappointment. But I mean, I, I couldn't... Sorry, there's big part. No, there's just big parts of all... There's big parts of all of them that I really enjoy. And then there's parts that I'm kind of like, oh man, what the fuck were they thinking? Yeah, I mean, I, I got to watch the the final trilogy through my kids' eyes. Now, yeah, what do was, what do your kids think of that? They, I mean, she loves it. She she didn't really like the last one all that much, like most of America. Um, <laughs> but she really liked it. Like, I think it's it was interesting because I tried to get her to watch the original after we saw that. She liked Ray. Like, she connected to Ray. She dressed like Ray for character day at school, like three years in a row. Um, <laughs> But she, um, I tried to make her watch the 77 Star Wars and she, she was out in like the first half hour. You know, because it's weird when, the you pacing. Look, when you look at that movie and how, you know, that is, it's not necessarily the blueprint for the blockbuster. I actually read a really good piece on the AV Club from Tom Brehan who says actually 1989's Batman is really kind of the, the blueprint for what we know as a blockbuster today. It's a very good article. I, I, I was... I was compelled by it but star wars moves very slow i mean when it picks up the pace it really picks up the pace it does yeah but it it's very deliberate it takes its time you you, you kind of meander around with these droids yes i could see i wonder about that sometimes with youngsters if they watch that especially having if you started with the book of boba fett or yeah you know any of the other films where you kind of hit the ground running how that changes their perspective yeah, I think, you know, I mean, it also looked dated compared to the new one, but um, I think maybe when she's older, she might appreciate it more, but at the time when she saw it, it was like, she was like, this is boring as hell. You almost just got to skip right ahead to that, uh, skip right ahead to the trench run. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, so we're like, all right, this is where you end up, but you have to, yeah. get, you have to, you have to work you have to go through it. all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, and the, the sword fighting is really bad. It's, yeah, it's, well, because, well, it's just so funny how, I mean, when you grew up with it, how, you know, it was, they were directed as saying, it's like Excalibur, it's hard to hold, it's heavy. Yeah. And now, no, it's, you know, you can spin it around like a baton. Yeah, you could, you could do flips. Yeah. You could be an 800 year, like, green toad type of creature and just do flips all over the wall. And I've still it. got that old man in me where I wished it was, we got something a little bit closer in tone to that original 77, just because I hold it so near and dear to my heart. Yeah, I just I, absolutely absolutely adore that movie yeah i mean I, I got to see it in theaters when it came out like i was like five i'm, really? I'm an old man yeah so i wasn't like, sure i, I wasn't sure how, I, I figured we were around the same age yeah i didn't get to see i got to see return of the jedi and i remember it because so i would have been three i would have been going on three and my parents left me at my grandma's house because they were going to see it first because they heard that it was a little you know a little scary for younger kids and i was already into star wars and I knew where they were going. And I screamed bloody murder. I was so pissed that they were going to see Return of the Jedi without me. 
And they ended up taking me the following week. And I still remember going. It was a it was a thunderstorm outside, and wow. my uncle went with us. And I remember sitting in that theater because I remember the crowd because this was back when you had to go to the theaters for stuff. Yeah. And it was a packed house, and the crowd went bananas when Darth Vader picked up the Emperor and threw him down the oh yeah the, the reactor shaft. I still I remember imagine. a very vivid memory. Yeah, I have, I have a memory. I saw Jaws in the theater. I don't know if it was like a re-release or what, because I remember it, and I would have been three when it came out. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely rem- remember having nightmares about it. And my brother was born, so I had to have seen it later, because my brother's four years younger than me. So in 75, he wasn't around. Right. Um, but that, and then E.T. is the other one I, I remember. I started driving, sitting on top of my parents' car, crying my eyes out. You know I went to see E.T. Well, I saw E.T. I think was, I say E.T. was the first movie I saw at the show. And I don't know if you're confused by that, but that's a very Chicago vernacular thing for your listeners. We don't say the movies or go to the theater. You went to the show. I don't know. The show. That, okay. The show. I mean, I, I got what you're saying. So, but like, I've had that happen where I talk to people like, and they're like, what are you talking like, You know, the show. Um, but it is a very Chicago. I think it's very indicative of the South side of Chicago as well. But I claim it was E.T. My mother claims it was Return of the Jedi. But I always tell her I have a better memory than her. So I'm probably right, <laughs> despite the fact that I would have been two years old. But I went to see E.T. We went to see Jaws. Funny you mentioned mm-hmm. that. We'd see Jaws at one of the big drive-ins uh, two Memorial Days a day ago, you know, during the kind of the worst of the pandemic. Yeah. And uh, we got there early enough where we got to see E.T. as well. And I'm sitting in that car just trying not to fucking cry like i don't know what <laughs> it was just taking me back to being a kid i just man that's spielberg that manic that manipulative son of a bitch yeah he's good. but et is an interesting movie too because we all love that movie when we were kids but that is an that is a weird movie for kids yeah but i think it also maybe goes to show why we're why our generation is the best generation in that our 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 movie our kids movies did deal with adult themes did have slower pacing i'm just not a big i I tuned out on the whole pixar thing years ago it just feels like every movie for kids now is that yeah it's just loud and it's colorful and and every reviewer will say oh and it's got a lot of adult it's got a lot of jokes that will go over to kids heads uh, for adults i'm like or just make a movie for kids that you know, speaks, doesn't treat them with disrespect, like yeah. treats them a little bit smarter. I yeah, guess. I mean, I, I think I Stranger you probably Things have to does watch, that really well. You, which one? Stranger Things. I, I haven't caught up with that, but I, I love the first season of that show. It, it's pretty fantastic. Like, it's held up well through the three, the three seasons. And again, seeing it through the eyes of an 11-year-old, it, it's similar. Like your kid's thrown into these dangerous situations Well, then I, by so yourself. Hey, you're, you're watching these movies. Do you have to watch a lot of that junk or at 11 years old? Have you, have you, ta- have you taught her right? Does she have good taste or she has pretty good taste? Um, you know, she's, she sort of moved off of the kid movies. Um, so she, she has a mix of like horror movies and then she'll like stream, like binge watch Gilmore girls, <laughs> you know? So it's like the, the sort of influence of myself and my wife on, on her. So she's like sort of getting a good, a good education of like what it was like in the eighties and nineties to grow up. That's so, awesome. To the point where it's like, you know, we let her ride the subway alone from time to time. Really? Go to the market by herself. 
you know, wow. not just like I, aimlessly. There's, I tell but you what, there's... I'm still, I, I, was, I was in New York. I was still a little nervous about riding the subway alone that I was going to get lost. That's impressive. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like school home, that type of thing. It's not like go, you know, catch a movie on 14th Street <laughs> and come back. You've, but, got, um, you've got very good, I will say, in our Chicago versus New York debate, uh, you've got very good public transportation in New York City. It's, yeah, it's not bad. I mean, you know, being here, you, you see all the flaws. So but, when um, I was, yeah, when I was out there, I was staying in uh, New Rochelle. Okay, that's where my mom grew up. My mom was Yeah, born. where the Petries are from on uh, Dick Van Dyke. Oh, really? That's where they lived. And okay. I didn't realize when I, my friend, John Abrams, the editor, uh, editor-in-chief at Daily Groundhouse, I didn't realize when he said, oh, yeah, you can stay at my place when you're in New York. I didn't realize that, yeah, how far out he was. He's a sent... New Rochelle is essentially kind of like the neighborhood I live in here in Chicago. Okay. It's, it's a city, but you got to get on. We have it, the Metra. I don't know. What's your, what's that uh, train line? That, that would be the, I think it's the Harlem line of the MTA. The MTA. Yes. So you yeah. have to take that in every night. And so I would, you know, go into the city every night. What's nice is I had until two in the morning. That was the last train back to New Rochelle. And one night I got on the subway and I was, I swear to God, I wasn't even drunk, but I was looking at it and I'm like, all right, all right, I think I got it. I'm gonna go this way. So I'm sitting on that train and I'm like, I don't think I'm going the right way anymore. And I get off and I go ask the attendant, uh, you know, uh, like, uh, how far are we, are we from, you know, the Grand Central Station? And his eye, he just, eyes just bug out of his head. I don't know where, I still don't know where the fuck I was. I just looked at him and I said, I guess I'm taking an Uber. He goes, yeah, that would probably be best. I'm like, Great. Thank you very much. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and I still, to this day, I have no idea where the fuck I was at. That's amazing. That's yeah. I mean, that's, that's the way it is on the subway, man. I mean, I, I've been fortunate enough where like, I, and I've been really drunk on the subway in my day that I oh, never, yeah. never missed my stop. Like, that's no impressive. matter how drunk I was. That is, you know. that is impressive. That is a skill. Put that on a resume. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's got me to where I am today. So <laughs> I, I actually had a question for you about a non-horror related movie. Absolutely. It's, it's a movie I grew up watching. Um, it was on HBO all the time when I was a kid. Okay. It's we're, called we're Over the Edge. Oh, Over the Edge. Fucking A. Of one of the great teen angst. Yes. Dramas of, uh, I mean, it's probably closer. I mean, like I guess we're not that far in age, but I like I I love that movie, but for people who are just about five to ten years younger than me, that movie like changed their lives. Yeah. And one of the reasons I appreciate it is because there's a lot of cheap trick on the soundtrack. That's why I brought it up. One of the reasons I brought it up because I know you're a big cheap trick fan. Um, so I, I just wanted to tell you a story about it that I, I think is pretty funny. Let's hear it. So my I, I feel like I'm talking about my daughter way too much on this, but no, you she know, this was. Is- I love it. I love it. When she was in nursery school, she went to like, you know, you you have your kids birthday parties, right? So we go to this person's house and I didn't really know them well. Like I'd met them a couple of times and they had an over the edge poster on the wall. And I was like, Oh, over the edge. Like it's, you know, I was looking for any end to talk to these people because I didn't know them at all. And I'm kind of like introverted when I'm in those scenarios. Right. Cause I like weird music. I like weird movies and most adults don't really get it. So I was like, all right, I have this in. I'm going to talk to you about it. And he was like, oh, I was in that movie. And I look at the poster. And I was like, holy shit, you were Claude. So the one, I don't know if you remember Claude, he's the one that had like the acid in his pocket. I, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. I remember Claude. 
so I mean, basically like my daughter's best friend, her dad is Claude. Oh man, that's so cool. So like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just like one of those weird movies that like I made a good friend out of because of that Oh well, yeah, that's, that's great. You know what, um, that's just, that is truly, I think, a, uh, I don't know if it's available readily, but I know it shows, it shows up on Turner Classic Movies after once in a while. I know my mom's a big fan of it, uh, but you want to talk about just like a skate. It, it's all, I mean, it, it, it's hard. It's very entertaining too. Yeah. It's a scathing commentary on white flight Oh yeah, in that era, and just I knew kids, or I not, right, not, I know people who are a little bit older who said like that was their life though when their parents moved out to the suburbs where there just wasn't anything to do yeah. because they didn't take the time. Kind of like we're talking about with the, the movies, with they they weren't treating kids with respect and giving them something to do, and then they just kind of you know started wilding out. <laughs> Maybe yeah. blowing up the school is a a, a bit, bit, bit extreme but yeah I, I i think most teenagers should watch uh, when, when are you gonna when are you gonna sit your daughter down with uh you need to watch over the edge I, i've tried to to talk to her about it because like you know she knows she knows him she knows tom and um i actually went to they did a, a screening at nighthawk where it was him um the main character and the writer and the director and uh we went and he uh he took his oldest daughter his oldest daughter is like 19 now but she was like the first time she ever saw it was in the theater like this showing where her dad was answering questions at the end but um yeah I you know where I grew up I grew up like an hour north of of the city and it was this apartment complex called Amberlands where it was like all the families that like couldn't afford housing up there could go and like rent eventually up right and our life was like you know all the kids so parents would put like all their magazines in the basement when they were done with them, right? And all the apartments were connected by the laundry rooms where the magazines were. So we would just run through all the apartments, look for all the skin magazines we could find <laughs> and take them up to our treehouse and just put them in plastic bags and like hang out up there all day. Like that was, oh, that was crazy. our version of New Granada, like yeah. basically in a, in a tree fort with skin magazines. Yeah, I didn't have that, but I like that movie, I didn't have that much angst when I was in high school. I suppose... Uh... I, I got onto the internet real early. That's why I spent way too much time on the internet way too young. <laughs> like I got onto the internet like in 1994. We got Prodigy oh, wow. at the house and I just kind of fell in love with it. I just said, this is so cool. And then, you know, I got into the internet one night, the next night, I'm like, how can I use this to meet girls? And, and it, I mean, it, right? it wasn't quite at that point yet, but I, I did, I, I was an early advocate of internet dating. And I don't think the young, any of the young bloods listening to your show don't realize like it used to not be as easy as Tinder and Bumble. You couldn't just swipe. You had to go into a, a chat room. Oh yeah. You had to cross your fingers that, it was the person you were talking was who you were looking for, who you wanted to talk to. Yeah. And uh, it was just a very different time. I remember uh, my first time, I first time doing it. I went out and met a girl out in the burbs of Chicago out near Berwyn, where I, I still, I still hang out out there because I host master movie nights out at the cigars and stripes, the barbecue place out there. And I remember having that moment, like, this is weird. This is weird. We hadn't exchanged pictures. We didn't do anything, but we ended up having a good couple of dates. Good time. That's awesome. That's amazing. I had, I had um, a similar thing, like, cause there was like this rap underground, like rap message board called undergroundhiphop.com cleverly. And um, Wait, I remember let like, you know who, but here, this is, who's going to be here. Yeah. There's no, this there's no question there. about it. It was like, sort of like one of those things, like 
there was one woman on the thing and it was like <laughs> the apple of everybody's eye I'm yeah sure. exactly but i happened to be going to do a show in columbus where she was from so that columbus, was like ohio ohio yeah so i was like okay let's meet up and very similar story but it was like it was cool for a couple of days and then it was like uh, ready to go time to get home time to get yeah. home <laughs> yeah time to get out of here <laughs> yeah. but um, time to get the fuck out of columbus i've been drunk in, i've been drunk in columbus before i was de- i was in columbus ohio me and my buddy dan decided are you familiar with uh, guided by voices yes from dayton ohio we were following them around that weekend and their first show was at the bluebird in columbus so there was a bluebird okay. in columbus uh the uh, headliners in Kentucky and Louisville and then uh, Bloomington, Indiana. And we were just going to go all around. It was actually, oh, is this March is the anniversary of that. So the first time we get there, my buddy, Dan, I partied with this guy. I've known this guy since Boy Scouts. One of my favorite people to party with. He looks at me and goes, Mike, let's make such a spectacle out of ourselves that the band <laughs> remembers who we are all weekend. And we ended up meeting this group of friends led by this guy, Gary Smith, who we ended up partying with the whole weekend and have are still friends with to this day. But I ended up on stage that night. Oh, wow. Because the band, Bob Pollard noticed that I sort of looked like Ryan Adams. Okay. <laughs> and consequently, I ended up on stage all three nights. That's amazing. And they would just bring me up and I'd, you know, I'd say something stupid into the microphone and then they'd kick me off the stage. But uh the bass player at the time, Chris Slanko, was very kind to us. He let us piss in the, in the band's bucket. They had a bucket. They, they didn't have a green room. They just had a bucket backstage that they were pissing in during the session. This was in Columbus. This is in Columbus, Ohio. I, I, I know that green room because I played that, that room a couple of times. That's the one that there's like a white castle across the street, right? Oh, Jesus, man. That, whew, probably. Okay. <laughs> it was the Bluebird. I definitely remember. I yeah. know. Was it the because or was it Little Brothers? could be no, both the bluebird those. was indiana indiana little brothers okay. was the one in columbus gotcha okay oh, i gotta start writing this shit down yeah <laughs> columbus is a fun city though um but there's no good green rooms anywhere I, um i'm trying to think if i ever in columbus ever, anyway if i've ever seen because uh, you you obviously you perform you rap you 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 play the same clubs that i would have been playing in rock bands right yeah so i'm trying to think if i've um the Abbey Pub in Chicago's green room wasn't great, but it love was the Abbey day. Pub. I almost broke my ankle every time I played there, going down the stairs to the green room. Reggie's and oh, yo, Double Doors green room was all right. Okay, and Reggie's was appropriately filthy. Most times, most places we played didn't have a green room, so anytime there was a green room, I, I mean, you really. Like me, I couldn't sit back there because I usually had friends come to the show. So I couldn't hide back there the whole night. So, but yeah. I would have to sit back there for at least like a, you know, 20 minutes and take it in that, yeah, I'm in a band. I'm in a green room. I'm, this is cool. <laughs> you know, I feel, I feel special. Cause at other times you'd be in, like, I remember being in a green room at a show in Milwaukee at Mad Planet and it was a bunch of local bands and we were kind of the out of towners. And I think we kind of muscled our way into the bill and nobody okay. knew who we were. So we're sitting back there and we're trying to like hang out with these guys and none of them, like you could tell, none of them wanted anything to do with us. So we're like, ah, fuck it. Let's just go hang outside. So then I got ridiculously <laughs> drunk doing Grand Marnier, Grand Marnier shots with the owner of the place who is this really, really very attractive woman who everybody in the band thought, oh, Mike, Mike's going to do it. Mike's going to do it. And then she wised up, realized it was a bad business decision to get involved with me. <laughs> and you know, I just left there sitting at the bar. But to this day, 
I last time I was up in Milwaukee, they weren't open because of you know pandemic stuff, but our sticker remained on the the one cooler there for years. Romero's, nice. my old rock and roll band. Yeah. Nice. So, so what is your music history? Like, do you mind going into it a little no, bit? No, not at all. Um, I was a late bloomer to playing guitar. I, about 97, 98, uh, I picked up Live at Budokan and I saw The Who on their Quadrophenia tour. And I said, you know what? I want to finally learn how to play guitar. So I bought a guitar, took lessons, never was very good, Always wanted, but always wanted to be in a band, right? It was that whole thing, uh, that Gene Simmons thing, where you want to be mm-hmm. in a band because you want to meet girls. And didn't really get into a band until uh, my buddy Pat O'Sullivan, who he and I were both mad that we weren't asked to be in every other band in the neighborhood. <laughs> we said, well, let's just start our own. But we were like amateur. Uh, and we were in our early 20s now. We were like, we were playing at a high school level. But we okay. were in our 20s. He was the bass player. He was playing bass. I was playing guitar. I'm not a great guitar player, but he didn't even know like an A from a B from a C. He'd like, you know, I'd be like, oh, I could play a C. He's like, oh, you mean a, a three, you know? And he'd be like, that would be the string that he was playing. I'm like, all right, we're going we're gonna to get you learned on that. And then I ended up becoming the lead singer because I wrote songs. So I knew the words. And I never saw myself as a lead singer either. And we went through a slew of drummers. And it was always the Romeros, though. Like, I got outvoted. I wanted to be called the Argentos. I got outvoted by two guys who don't, didn't play, who eventually left the band, too, which is funny. Uh, we got voted. We voted the Romeros, and then we were the Romeros for. I think I went out to I went out to dinner with my the last guitar player, the guitar player who lasted the longest, the best guitar player we ever had, Bob Sylvester. Good guy, horror nut, um, terrific guitar player. Just um, he's one of these guys who spent he spent his high school years like the over the edge kids out in the burbs, okay, and just playing guitar and learning old metal riffs. So he could play our kind of power poppy, you know, cheap trick influence, you know punk stuff easily he just brought this different flair to it that really i think gave us a a distinct sound in a very kind of you know by the numbers subgenre of music and we just kind of played clubs over the years uh we never recorded enough that's my biggest regret but there's a really great live recording that we have on soundcloud of our we had taken like a three-year hiatus we came back for this the international pop overthrow festival which is this traveling festival that would showcase you know power pop band and we played it with a, our first one with a full horn section that oh, ended wow. up we ended up keeping the horn section with us uh and it's just it's whenever we tried to record i think we tried to polish this up a little too much whereas we should have just been recording live because that's what we sounded like mm-hmm. and i think that's the best recording we have and there's great video of it on youtube um i just really like playing on, i like being on stage i like i like playing guitar i liked I like having fun. I liked, I liked the party. I liked, like, that was the thing about my 20s when we were doing the Romeros. Like, I don't know how many people actually liked our band so much as people knew that we were going to have the best party afterwards. We had a, <laughs> me and Pat had an apartment above a bar in Blue Island. So we could, we could, if we wanted to do an after show, we could play. Nobody hassled us. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and just everybody had a great time. And, uh, man, those are good times. I, I, I'd, like, I'd like to start playing again. I've, I've had a couple other projects kind of start off. Uh, and it's harder. I, it's harder to write songs at 41 years old. You're not as angsty. I'm actually pretty yeah. content. I'm, I'm pretty content in my life right now. I'm not constantly, constantly on the prowl like I used to be <laughs> or constantly mad because a girl wasn't paying attention to me. And, you know, you know, all the best power pop songs are about a car or a girl, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a weird phenomenon writing rap music at this age because it's like, you know, I don't want to like 
rap like Jay-Z about like 401k. So it's like. Yeah. So what rap. do you rap? What do you rap about? I mean, the, the do last you go? where do you look? What's your muse? Um, it, it really depends on what's going like. I, I think a lot of times, like I just write for therapy. So it's like to make sense of the world. So like my last two records were sort of like really just dealing with like the craziness of like what happened to America under Trump. Not so okay. much like a uh, fuck Trump, just like we've all lost our minds collectively and sort of trying to like work our way through that. Like, right. You know, I mean, like, it, that was that was I mean, whether that was the the cause or the symptom, who knows? But it, there's no denying that we are living through. I mean, everybody says it's always interesting times, but I feel yeah. like as someone who's been around for 41 years, this is definitely the weirdest it's been yeah it is and, and and i think it's like we've just we're waiting for an excuse quite honestly right and he was the excuse like we just we've been dying to like turn on each other oh it was a long time coming yeah and uh, you know it, it does also doesn't help you know i always say like in, in terms of the pandemic you know i work i i'm a bartender that's my job and yeah. we kind of got hit the hardest by it i think bars yeah. and restaurants i don't think anybody i mean i'm sure somebody could argue with me on that but my whole life, you know, I, I, I tried doing the accounting thing. I tried a couple other jobs, but the one thing that always appealed, there's a lot of things that appeal to me about bartending, the, the women, the lifestyle, the late nights, you know, it's just a, it's a fun job. You get paid to host a party. How great is that? But one of the great things about bartending was that times are good. People drink times are bad. People drink. People drink. There's always going to be, there's always gonna be a job for a bartender. So this is the first time in my lifetime where no, there were three months there where I couldn't get a bartending gig somewhere. Mm. And that was weird. That was, that was very strange to me. And I, you know, when you think about the pandemic, you know, would it have been the same without social media? Well, I think social media kind of saved our asses. During, I, I agree. In that we were able to interact with people. And, but on the, you know, on the minus side, I do feel like if this, if this pandemic happened during the 90s, right? And we were both around and cognizant of the way the world worked in the 90s. And politics yeah. have always been divisive. Mm -hmm. I do think that there wouldn't have been as much blowback about the masks or the vaccines in the 90s. Because, well, why are you wearing a mask? Well, you know, Walter Conkright, Dan Rather says I should wear a mask. I saw it on yeah. news, you know. Okay. And there were always going to be people who are contrarians, who think there's, who don't like being told what to do, which is something I understand, as I said, oh, yeah. I don't like being told what to do. But the internet just makes it easier for people to truly fake it till they make it. Well, this guy mm -hmm. has a million followers on, on, on YouTube, so he must know what he's talking about. That, that carries absolutely no weight. I have, I have 32,000 Twitter followers and, <laughs> you know, I still have trouble. I still have trouble making the rent every month yeah. it, it doesn't mean anything but i think no. that maybe that was that, that that's a negative side of it but i think there's more positive that comes out of social media in terms of the pandemic pandemic and everything like that and i think it's just more it's not even political anymore with the vaccine so much as it's people that don't like to be told what to do and i've yeah. said countless, countless times you know about the bar which we just kind of uh just today as of this recording we're not checking back cards we're not enforcing masks anymore which i'm excited about i'll say that i'm mm -hmm. happy about it although I'm going to miss the vax card a little bit because since the beginning of time, bartenders, you know, we could check an ID to find out if you're 21 or not. Right. Yeah. But since, you know, the beginning of time, we always wanted, uh, if we could have a sheet of paper that could tell me if somebody was foolish or not, 
how great would that be, right? Yeah. The Vax card is the closest thing I've ever had to that because <laughs> checking those Vax cards cleared out so much riffraff. Oh, I'm sure. I'd see, I'd see a group coming in, you know, some young bucks or something. I've like, oh, these guys are trouble. They're already tuned up. And I'm like, all right, let me see your Vax cards, guys. And I'm oh, you don't have them. I'm sorry. I can't serve you. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that it's, I'm glad that it's finally, I am glad that it feels like maybe we might have a relatively normal summer this year, right? I'm hoping so. I mean, I, I work at a university, so it's like, I'm excited to like be able to kind of have normal interactions with people there. You know, like students being able to come in and like sit through like an event and have food and not wear a mask and interact well, with each other. I was talking to a teacher last night. The teachers come in for happy hour at my bar on Friday and I was working the afternoon shift and he was explaining that it's hard to interact with kids, particularly with kids yeah. when you're wearing a mask. And I think, and you're on, as you said, you're on Twitter too much like I am. If you ever, like I, I, I to some people, my opinions on masking probably seems like it's right wing or libertarian or mm -hmm. something like that, which I don't think it is. I, I kind of thought the mask became theater once we were getting vaccinated. I agree. Yeah. Uh, but I understand why somebody would wear one. And if somebody asks me to wear one while I'm serving them, absolutely. I will. I just, I, mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not going to be an asshole about it, but when they said, okay, with the bars, uh, if you're eating or drinking, you don't have to wear a mask, but the bartender needs to wear a mask. I'm thinking, so I'm going to have a full, you know, horseshoe bar thinking 20 people in there, all not wearing masks, but I'm the one that's got to be uncomfortable and get out of here. That's ridiculous. That's silly. Yeah, I'm vaccinated. It's... We're all vaccinated. Yeah, but, it's safety theater. But some people have just grown attached to the mask. And I, somebody wants to wear them, wear them. I, 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 I guess I'm truly libertarian in that sense where I'm like, do what you do. It's not affecting my day one way or the other. If that's what makes you feel comfortable, if that's what makes you happy, I'd rather have you do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, that's sort of, I, I often get like accused of that myself. Like, um, I'm sure. Because, you know, I, I kind of, I've been around long enough where it's like, I've seen the panics before, right? Like, you know, I've yeah. seen the satanic panic. I've seen, <laughs> um, like, and it feels like very much to me, like we're living through a combined satanic panic and red scare. Like it's coming from both sides. Yeah. And I'm just That's like, true. That's true. you know, it's a little well, much. I'm like, there's people out there that just won't fucking get the vax because they only pay until to do. And there's people out there that don't ever want it to end because they don't want to leave yeah. the house. Yeah. And for me, I'm somebody who likes leaving the house. I, my business, my money relies on people leaving the house. And, and when I see blue checkmark types running their mouths about it, I'm thinking, you know, I did not have the option to work from home. And most yeah. people don't. Yeah. And I think that just shows a disconnect between, you know, people always say it and uh, I'll say it again. Maybe it'll get through to somebody, you know, people want to try and say they want to divide people up by, you know, race or gender or this kind of thing. It's always going to be about the rich versus the poor. <laughs> yeah. And they're, and they, the rich know that they can get poor people to fight over dumb shit like that. Yeah, exactly. It's um, there's, I don't know, I don't know if you're familiar with them. There's a guy named Andrew Heaton who has a podcast called the political orphanage. I don't and, know um, this one. It's pretty good. It's like, I, I think based off of what we're talking about, you might enjoy it. But okay. his take was always like, I'm tired of being told to check my privilege by people who went to private middle school, private high school, and right. the best colleges in the world and work at the best media companies in the world. Right. Yeah. yeah. Don't, I mean, I, at least have a, you know, a self-awareness yeah. about you. I know who I am. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say I've had the hardest fucking life either. I, 
grew up middle class. Uh, I, st- I, I have my, I still have my parents. They're very supportive of me. They've, they've helped me out when I'm in pinch. They helped me out big time during the pandemic because I was even with the bars go fund me, which thank God for that. And even with the, the money from the government and unemployment, like I was still struggling and it was weird there for a while. Cause even our, you know, the people who own the bar were like, I don't know how long can we hold on? How long can we do in this? But it did force us to be very resourceful. And I think mm-hmm. one of the favorite things we did was putting the drive-in theater in our, in our parking lot. I saw, I saw the, the photos of that. That looks amazing. That was, and that wasn't even my idea. I always have to give credit. It was actually Jerry who runs our kitchen. And I got, he'll never let me forget it. I always say, all right, fine. It was your idea. You made it, but I made it work. He goes, <laughs> all right, that's fair. Shake hands. That's what we'll say from now on. Yeah. There, there's a, a friend of mine owns a bar in Brooklyn called Beer Wax, which is like, um, it's a, it's a beer bar, but it's like vinyl theme. So like they have DJs coming in, like all sorts of like, sort of like soul and funk and hip hop DJs it. will come in and spin sets. But the, the whole back of the bar is just records. Love it. It's I'm nothing but it. records. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it, it's a phenomenal place. But they um, they had a, lo- a rule here that for bars to be open, they had to serve food. Yes, yes, I heard about that. So that he was, was basically put, put a crock pot full of hot dogs on the counter <laughs> and put like chips and and salsa in like a bag. Well, and that was so with every beer you got that. <laughs> well, did you ever see Bill Maher's Religious? Yes. You remember the bit where he's talking to the Orthodox Jews and they can't do all these things after Sabbath, but they had created all these workarounds. Mm -hmm. Like that's what the pandemic felt like to me. Yeah. Because like we couldn't have people indoors at our bars. So we set up a, but we, we rented a bunch of shipping containers and set up tables and heaters out there. So you can't be inside here, but you can inside here, be inside. And like for, and somebody was always coming in, you know, some ding dong anti-vax or anti-mask or saying, well, what's the difference? What's the difference? I'm like, it doesn't matter what I think. This is just how we're doing it right yeah. now, man. Like I, I didn't choose this it, and it honestly probably did help. And I think another thing people don't want to remember about the pandemic was that we didn't shut things down because there was a virus, because there was a flu, because of COVID. We shut things down because the hospitals were overrun. Yeah, exactly. And I think people kind of uh, forget that. They don't want to remember that because, I mean, I don't know the number. Every You can read numbers from a million different sources. But if, like here in Chicago, if they're loosening up the mask and vax mandate, things I would like to think. I mean, not that I trust the government any more than anybody else, like, <laughs> especially Chicago government. I would like to think that maybe things are working their way to getting a little bit better, but it's always going to be here. We're always going to have to deal with it. But if you get vaccinated, it won't uh, it won't be as bad. I know we're starting to turn into the Joe Rogan podcast here. I like it's this. starting to feel like that. I, mean, we might, we might <laughs> uh, yeah. I know I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to get I'm going to get the Halloweenies canceled with my wild fucking opinions. <laughs> And, I mean, you know, you're, you're I'm sorry, with my, right with my even tempered, well thought out <laughs> opinions, someone's going to be upset by it. Somebody's always going to be upset. We, yeah. we just had a, um, a thing where we kind of just like as a goof, like we were talking, it was like one of those like loose wild episodes and the, the conversation turned to Eminem as a rap producer. Okay. And he's really terrible. As a producer? So, as a producer, like it's, it's got no swing. It's got nothing. It's just like, you know, Casio keyboard drums and like a, a shitty sample. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's so unfortunate. We in, I would expect him to be, you know, having, you know, come on to the tutelage of Dre. And it's a shame. Know, 
but he just, you know what? Not everybody can do everything, right? No, exactly. But we, we put it out as like, it's a Patreon clip, right? Like something for our Patreon listeners. And two days later, I went to our page and there was hundreds of Eminem's fan, Eminem fans mad oh, at us. Just mad at you guys? Just mad at us. It was amazing. Oh. I was like, wow. Did, did, your heart, did your heart drop when you saw those comments? Like, oh no, what happened? Before you I, a saw little bit. I was like, were. what's going on? And then I saw, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. So, you know, we just basically spent like the next day doing battle until it ended. But uh, they moved on to someone else. I'm, uh, I'm looking through my swarm app because I'm trying to find Brooklyn because I want to run down a list of the bars that I went to. Because I went, I was there to promote a screening at the Nighthawk. Okay. Uh, I was doing so were you in the Nighthawk in Williamsburg or in Park Slope? In Williamsburg. Okay. So I did, uh, I was hosting The Astrologer, which is this really cool uh, cult film that was, uh, it was unreleased. Agfa, you could rent a, you could rent a, a uh, not a print, but you could rent a DCP from them and you could show it. And I showed it here in Chicago. It did very well. And then a friend of mine, Kevin Mars, said, do you want to do it out here at the Nighthawk? And I said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hosted two nights there, Saturday and the Friday. The Friday is notable because I uh, started my day at Brooklyn Brewing. Okay. And just worked my way down that strip uh, on that walk back to the theater. Uh, Skinny Dennis, I hit uh, Jack, George and Jack's tap room, Don Panchito. Like, I know I was, Don Panchito. I was, I was on a run. And um, then I had to introduce the movie. And <laughs> I, a month late, months later, I mean, I knew I was intoxicated. Months later, a, I saw a reviewer note, a, the wildly intoxicated Mike Vanderbilt from Daily Grindhouse presented, attempted to present a PowerPoint before the film. <laughs> <laughs> and I, felt, I thought I had pissed off the owner, uh, the guy who runs the theater, Max, but he, he just said to me after the Saturday presentation, because at that point, you know, I was, still, I was still hanging over from the previous night's events at midnight. And he goes, you did much better tonight. I said, thank you very much. I appreciate that. But <laughs> both nights sold out, so they couldn't have been too upset with me. No, they certainly couldn't have. I mean, that's all they want, right? Yeah, um, it was fun, though. I did my first shot of Montenegro in one of those places. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Well, if you ever come back out, I'll have to take you out to oh, the beer wax. I think you'd ab- enjoy it. Absolutely. I, I can't wait to get back out to New York. I was there in July, <laughs> and I, did, I, I, I liked that kind of uh, muggy uh, heat coming off the, the ocean there. I, 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 like I said, I just had a great time in New York. I got to go to Manitoba's. I just kind of was on because I was on my own. Usually on vacations, I'm kind of hanging out with somebody. But mm-hmm. uh, the guy I was staying with, he was still working his day job. So I was on my own every night. So I was just going around and making new friends, whether I wanted to or not. That's awesome. That's a good time. Um, yeah, I, I mean, if I ever one of one of my goals, if I ever come out to Chicago, is to come out to the bar just to experience. Oh, you've got it. it. You've got it. Yeah. We'll take we'll take good care of it out here. The only issue is, I think when you know people see I'm from Chicago, I live in Chicago, but the bars, you know on that south end of the city it's a kind of a hassle to get to if you're staying in chicago but if you're on vacation you have expendable income so just take exactly down. yeah and then you I, can you can crash on one of my numerous couches if you have there to. we go it's going to turn into a night that that's a good time i i'll, I'll bring my friend jason griff who uh is from out, out in chicago oh, uh, he's, he's one of my collaborators he um he actually did are, are you familiar with the fireside bowl absolutely uh Played there once, but long after it was cool because it was cool throughout the 90s. Then they turned into a real bowling alley. Then they started doing shows again. That's when we got in there. Okay. 
because he um he basically he made a record called Fireside Chats, and it was you know I guess formative years for him were being in um going to punk shows there. Oh, it was I I was I just wasn't part of that scene, but all yeah. of my friends are. Like I went to a couple shows at the Fireside. I remember seeing who I see teenage frames there. I saw moods for moderns there, uh, but I was never one of those. I wasn't like one of those, you know, five people at that one alkaline trio show yeah. or something because <laughs> that's where they got their start. But I know so many people that they, it's definitely a, what do I want to say? It is a, it is a notable place in Chicago, rock and roll, punk rock history. Yeah. So, so he, he made a record basically instead of like using like recycled samples, he just took samples from bands that he had seen there. And I'm looking made, at it right now. Music at it. It's a it's a real fun record. I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah. And a fireside was a spot. Yeah, he, he's he's a big Chicago guy. He like manages Trader Joe's out there. Which um, trade? Oh yeah. Oh, 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 I wonder if we've ever we probably crossed paths. This is the world's biggest small town, as they yeah. call it. Yeah, he, he's he's a real good dude. Um, so you know, I'll I'll bring him out and about as well. Because uh, I know he's always, you know, he's 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 a family man. So if he gets a chance to go out, I'm sure he'll take it. I know. It. I still, I, I'm still living that, you know, singleish lifestyle. I mean, I probably will forever. No kids or anything like that. But like, I'm 41, so a lot of my friends are on that tip. But luckily, when you're a bartender, you meet other degenerates. Yeah. Who can like tonight after I'm done here, I'm probably gonna go up to Rock Island because well, I have to because my partner Ashley is tending bar, and uh, we have to get our decorations up for Fat Tuesday. Oh, nice. And I know, I know I'm not, not going to want to do it tomorrow afternoon. So I'm just going to no. go up there tonight, have a couple beers, you know, have a couple tacos and uh, be done with it. I'm, I, I'm more, I'm, I'm, I, I'm sharper at night anyway. I've never been a morning person. Hence why I think I turned to one of the many reasons I turned to bartending as a career. That, that's, that's interesting. I, I used to be a, a, like a night out, like stay up till four in the morning. Musicians, man, we can't Every help night. it. But it switched on me, man. Like now I, I, I can't sleep past eight o'clock. They're raising a 10 year old to do it to you. Cause I guess so. Yeah. That will do it to you. But now she's older. <laughs> like she does it on her own. It's like, I just wake up at that time. It's awful. I turned just into my one. dad. Do you, do you just have the one kid? Just the one. Yeah. I mean, it was like, <laughs> she'd probably hate me if I said this, but um, <laughs> you know, my, my wife and I went on vacation and came back with her. Oh, you know, when, you know, after a night of drinking and Oh yeah. Got oh, home yeah. and was like a surprise. I think, having, I think we're having a baby. A surprise, a happy surprise. Yeah. So, and, and it, it was kind of kids because it, it really lined up with like when my touring career ended. So to see, like I, <laughs> I, I, I did music like full time for like about six years, and my group broke up. The label I was on died. The scene that I was part of was like crashing to a halt. Okay, this like, is the next step. This is what, yeah, what we got to do yeah. now, huh? All things point to family. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, you, but you enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. You know, it's, I know plenty. It, I know plenty of people that went and did it, and I, I, I'm like, oh, you having second thoughts? I'm a little late for that. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it's once you make the commitment, you got to go whole hog. I agree with. It's that, like being right? in a band. Yeah, absolutely. That's for for better or worse. I usually stuck with things till the end, or until yeah. I got, or until I got kicked out. <laughs> I, I, played, I played guitar in a couple other bands have i ever gotten i've gotten kicked out of one band really more like asked to leave they they decided to do something that uh with other friends that they had been friends with for much longer and then the other one i was in this band the modern day rippers this really cool party punk band uh led by my man germ rip t ripper and we got good shows and the songs were good and we just put out an album like my first album that i ever put out on 
on vinyl, like, and nice. I'm on it. But I grow a mustache once every couple of years. Okay. And the photo they use for the back cover of this is me with that mustache. So that mustache is going to live in infamy for the rest of my life. That that's the photo that's on the one, you know, true album that I have. It's not a bad mustache or anything, but it's really not. When people think of my look, they don't think of that mustache. They don't think of the mustache. But, you know, everything, it was just hard to get. It was hard to get four, five, five 39-year-old people into a room with each other to practice during the week. Oh, yeah. It's I work weekends. Tough. I can't I can't stay up that late on a Tuesday. I got to get my kids to school. And I would love if they got back together. I mean, I, I could I could learn relearn them songs in a heartbeat. But I do. I'll tell you what, that's I miss playing on a stage. I really yeah. do. I, I, I've done it a couple of times since since uh, ending my actual like, career of doing that. And uh, it's a little nerve wracking now. I'm not going to lie. Like, we really? don't do it that often. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, that's but, the thing now. Like, um, if I were to like, you know, the the brewery, Blue Island Beer Company, down the street from our bar, they do an open mic every Thursday, and I'm always tempted to go over there. But I would have to sit and actually practice, even if I was doing original songs. Yeah, I would have to sit and relearn my. How embarrassing is it when you forget the lyrics to your own fucking song? It's really. I know I mean, it's the happening. one good thing about rap music is you can freestyle. <laughs> you know, um, but I, I had always been in groups where there was myself and another rapper, and it was like um, somebody can cover up the somebody could cover up. But it was like it was also like my best friend, right? So like when that group ended, I was like, ah, eh, you know, I don't want to just be up here by myself anymore. It was more fun when it was two of us. Well, yeah, I mean, going and doing like going and doing the solo shows, I haven't really written a new song in ten or fifteen years, probably. And I'm like, yeah. why am I up here? I'm up here singing about just going through emotions, like no emotion, no feeling, like singing about, you know, I couldn't even tell you what girl any of these songs were about or if they were really about <laughs> anybody at all. And I'm up here just I'm singing these songs that a 25 year old wrote at 41 years old. But I also just don't have that. I haven't had that inspiration to sit down and write anything and playing solo acoustic is fine, but I'm not a great guitar player. I'm not a great singer. I am a good front man. I like having a racket behind me. I like having you know, guitars and horns and keyboards. I, I like being up there as, you know, it's not a group, it's a gang. Yeah. And it's, it's you against the world that night and you get to be the coolest people in the room for 45 minutes. So act like it. It's the best, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> I miss it. I miss it. Yeah, there, there's never, there's no other high in the world like it. And I got so, to the point where I didn't even drink before a show because I realized that nobody does anything better drunk. No, that's for damn sure. It took me a lot. It took me a long time to get to that point because you always Same. think, "Oh, I'll have a couple to loosen up," and you know, you're never any better because you know your amp starts fucking up, and you're like, if you're drunk, you're standing, you're just having a fit. You don't know why. If you're sober, you can like look through the the daisy chain and say, "Oh, I still got it on standby," which is thing, a thing that has happened to me. Like, why is there no <laughs> sound coming out? Like, so, so let me ask two more questions, and I'll, yeah. I'll let you go because um. You know, there's beers and Fat Tuesday decorations and tacos. Oh, yeah, I know. I got work. I'm always working, always working. Yeah. I'm the, um, I am the laziest, busiest man you would ever want to meet. It's the best way to be busy, I think. Yeah. I, oh, I, I, I was whining about you know, all this work I've had to do and appearing on all these podcasts, doing this promo tour for the Halloweenies and all that. And if I wasn't doing anything, I'd be miserable. And if I'm too busy, I'm miserable. So yeah. I'd rather just be doing stuff. At least, at least yeah. I feel like I'm working towards something. Yeah, at, at least you don't feel the guilt of not doing things. <laughs> oh man, and being yeah. mad at yourself because you know somebody else beat you to the punch in that article on that podcast that you had the idea for, but you didn't sit down and do it. 
Yeah, no, that's that's really it right there, right? right. So, so I I, I want to hear about what the, the upcoming season. Like, I I'm Excellent. super excited about this season. So, you know, every year we get together and we have the round robin and we, you know, we throw out the different franchises. But we always try. So with Halloweenies, we always try to tie it into something that's going on that year, something that we can lead up to, something that we can build up to. And we've been very lucky lately because the first season they were building up to Halloween 2018, so they did the <laughs> Halloween. Elm Street just seemed like the next logical step because it's the best, you know, it's the best franchise, as I've said. And then by Friday the 13th, that's the next logical step. But we weren't really building up to anything. So we were very lucky this year when we get a fifth scream coming out. So we're able to do that season. And that was an interesting season because there's only four movies. So we got to fill in the gaps with all those Randy recommendations, which were some mm-hmm. of my favorite episodes we got to where we got to do a lot of one-off horror movies that maybe never got sequels like house and sorority row, which is mm-hmm. great. Or, I mean, how the howling got sequels, but that's another series that's better than you expect it to be. Really? There are a couple gems, uh, okay. two, three, five, six are actually very good they're three stars from mike vanderbilt i would recommend the howling series the amitable series is not as bad as you think it is either but the bad ones are really bad i suppose so we won't be doing the whole a whole season on our nose until you know halloween season 25 halloween season 25 so this year we had to think you know what we're gonna do texas chainsaw massacre did come up because there was a new movie coming out but nobody was ready to it Sometimes when we look at these franchises, particularly like something like the Hellraiser franchise, remember the scene in Pee-wee's Big Adventure when the, the pet store is on fire? Yeah. And he's saving all the animals, but he keeps going past the, the big tub of snakes and going yeah. like, ugh, gross, because he doesn't want to grab them. But eventually, <laughs> it's the last ones that he grabs. Like, yeah. that's what Hellraiser is like. It's like, uh, I can see that. Not yet, not yet, not yet, yeah, yeah. So we it's said, a rough we, one. Yeah, with the uh, with how how with uh, Evil Dead Rise coming out, uh, you know this year we thought it'd be perfect to get into the Evil Dead series, and again it's kind of tricky. How are we going to fill up this season? Because there's only three movies, or actually take it back. There's four, including the remake. Mm-hmm. There, but there's also we have the TV show, which we will we rarely cover the TV shows because we've never covered Friday the Thirteenth series or a Nightmare on Elm Street or Freddy's Nightmares. But we are going to, we don't know how we're going to do it, but we are going to cover the Ash versus Evil Dead. And we're going to cover the video games as well. Awesome. Which I won't be on those episodes. Like video, I grew, I grew out of video games. And even when that Star Wars Battlefront came out, because it just <laughs> looked like the coolest thing in the world, I tried to sit down and play it. And I was out of my element. It was truly, I was like a little kid. I'd rather, let me just watch you play. Let me just watch yeah. you. <laughs> so we're, yeah, I didn't we're even know there was Evil Dead video games. They're very popular too. And they look cool. Again, these are things that look cool, but I said, I don't, I have enough time wasters and vices in my life between drink, drugs, wine, women's song, movies, music. I don't need another one. So leave the video games for everybody else. But yeah, we're going to do the Evil Dead film. So we're starting with the first one, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, which I think if you just look at that, like right now, that is a perfect trilogy. Yeah. Of movies there's not a bad one in a bunch like no, it's kind of like kind of reminds me of like the indiana jones series when you look at those first three like everybody has their favorite but there's there isn't a bad one no there's nothing nothing like something bad. has to rank towards the bottom for you but i think that's going to be interesting to see where everybody lands on the evil dead series i think everybody has very strong feelings about each one of them and i'm looking forward to it because the evil dead series is 
Like uh, I, I didn't grow up with those necessarily because I got into those right before Army of Darkness came out. So I was like okay. 12. I read about them in Fangor. I read about Army of Darkness coming out in Fangoria. And I said, man, I, I'm, I've seen this box art. I've seen clips from this. I need to check these movies out. And it was love at first sight. Me and my friends, 12 years old, we watched that first Evil Dead. And even as people who had been watching horror movies, most of our adolescence, we'd never seen anything quite like that. Yeah. Uh, from you know, uh, a hero that you can kind of relate to. You kind of, you kind of can see yourself in Ash a little bit because he's kind of a dope and just the, that low budget, low red special effects. And that idea that I, you know, when you read about it, there's this great Cinefantastique issue about Evil Dead 3 Army of Darkness. It, was, it says Evil Dead 3 on the cover uh, that I'm using a lot for resources on this. It's this idea of these guys. It's just a bunch of friends from college who made a movie and made good on it. And I think that's yeah. a lot. I think that actually resonates with a lot of the Halloweenies because I think we kind of feel like that about our show this year because I don't think anybody saw. I mean, the fact, I mean, with our Patreon, we, we have a little bit of money come in. As somebody who was starting a podcast six years ago, drinking with his friends in the kitchen, I never thought I'd be getting a check for talking about horror movies one day, right? Yeah, we're kind of living that we're living that Sam Raimi dream a little bit like maybe maybe they'll get us onto a maybe we'll do a Marvel podcast next. I don't know. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> That'll did, be season you, 26. There you go. Did you ever read the, um, the Evil Dead book? It was like a book about the making of the Evil Dead. I just I had it and I just reordered it off of Abe books, which I'll give a nice. plug for them because if you're ever looking for used books, like the Evil Dead Companion was going for like $72 on Amazon oh, wow. used. And I got it on Abe books for like 12. Nice. Abe books is, if you're looking for old Playboys, uh, old leg show magazines, <laughs> or old books about <laughs> movies, Abe books is the place to be seen. So yes, I've been, I actually just started rereading that again in preparation because we're recording our, first episode this week and i'm sure as anybody who listens to the halloweenies knows it's going to be a long one. Oh yeah it's gonna be a deep dive I, which is one of the terms that we hate in call out culture but it, it's the only way to describe it uh, we always we laugh though when you know another thing that was really cool for us seeing how many hours people spent listening to us during the pandemic when they do their spotify rankings but yeah. the joke was like you spent you know you know what do i say you spent 3,000 hours with the Halloweenies. Yeah, but you only listen to two episodes. <laughs> there you go. That's right on, on, on brand. Um, so, so my last question, um, what's the deal with Malort? Ah, here we go. I knew we had to get to it eventually. Uh, so Malort is a, how do I want to describe it? It's a, you know, it was originally distilled in Chicago. Let me, uh, let, me, let me pull up my field guide to Malort. Because I wrote, I have a field guide on my Medium account. Okay. Uh, that I, I think, because what I started doing with Malort was I started tracking it in different cities because it's rare that you find it. Mm -hmm. you, can, you can find it at the Nighthawk Cinema in Williamsburg. They have it oh, really? tucked away, tucked away in a cabinet towards okay. the back. And uh, it's not the official Malort, it's the knockoff Malort, but they do have it. So it's a, it's a Chicago liqueur. It was originally distilled in in chicago and uh it's very bitter it's very floral and right around like 2007 it just kind of it had a moment where 
it became a very hip thing to drink. It kind of coincided with IPA culture mm-hmm. because it was bitter and grapefruit and it's very distinct. And some people say it's bad, but I think I have a theory. All shots are bad. Yeah. Whatever you're shooting, it's bad unless you're sipping it. You want to enjoy it, sip it. So all shots are bad. So why not as a bar? See, bartenders like Malort is relatively low proof. So you can do it all fucking night and still count your drawer at the end of the shift because you're not drunk. Mm. And it also works in the sense that you, when you get that group of people that come in who want a fun shot, maybe they're being a pain in the ass, maybe they're a little tuned up. You pour up this Malort for them. You've either made a friend or an enemy. It's kind of like... Uh, <laughs> It's kind of like the term jag off, which I always say is the aloha of Chicago because it can mean friend or it can mean foe. Okay. And it's just, it's a very Chicago thing that it's, 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 it's slowly expanding out. Like one day it, it's still sort of cool. I think it's, it's kind of shifted whether it's cool or not uh, for okay. the past couple of years, but the, the label reads, uh, it has the aroma and full bodied flavor of an unusual botanical. Like I said, it's very bitter. Uh, are you familiar with Fernet? or chinar no I'm not those are other liqueurs that are kind of in the family uh for some reason it's just a bartender thing too okay and it's a bartender thing it's a chicago thing and i love how i become associated with it for better or worse well i, I like it i do like it, it. I, well and... i do i do like it because it's my shot of choice these actually okay. i can't today my shot of choice is Cal. I love Mezcal. Mezcal is my favorite liquor. I, I went through a whiskey phase like everybody else, and I just kind of, just too much for me sometimes. Not that Mezcal is any better, but Malort is just, it's it's easy to do. It's 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 easy, and it's hard. It's everything. It's it's gross, and it's disgusting, and it's fun, and it's cool. It's everything Chicago is. Okay. And I, I, I was going to order it, and then I, I spoke to the aforementioned Jason Griffin. He was like, I don't know if you want to do that. Oh, uh, no, no. See, that's just it. Anytime I anytime I give it to somebody who like I have a lot of people like uh, I've become kind of ambassador to uh, the, the Joe Bob Briggs uh, mutant fam ambassador so whenever I have uh, you know somebody come in from out of town I have to take them to the usual my my, my Chicago haunts mm-hmm. in the surrounding suburbs and I get to do a shot of alert with me and they always say the same thing that wasn't that bad there's a lot of performance I think when people uh, sure when, yeah when, when, when people do the shot of Malort these days and what was I going to say? It's just not as bad. It's not as bad as you think it is. Okay. Well, I definitely will have to do it when I'm out in Chicago. I, I, uh, I, I still oh, here's a good story. A here's, a, here's a good story, though. I was in Nashville. What I want to tell you, I was, so I'm in Nashville, and we wind up at this place called Dino's, which is the best place for a late night burger in Nashville. Pro tip. But I walk in, and I, and I haven't, I was, in, I was in Nashville for two days, and I couldn't find Malort, and there it was. Wow. Because it's a surface industry hangout. So there was a row. It was like Fernet, Chinar, Malort, like all your favorite aperitivos, digestives. And uh, I ordered a shot. And the guy sitting at the counter at the bar says, I've never had that before. I said, well, tonight's the night. Bought him his shot, you know, Nashville resident, and did them together and words out of his mouth. Well, that wasn't that bad. And I think that, <laughs> I think that sums up Malort. It wasn't that bad. That's a perfect, a perfect way to sum it up. Um, my one night in Nashville was very different than that, um, but it where involved did you, where, where, Did you play down there? I did, yeah. So we, we played a show and it was like, it was one of those nightmare tours where every venue was like three people. 
And it was just like, you're getting your ass handed to you every night. And like, you get, you gotta, we, we talked about this the other night at our trivia night like, that I do with my friend, uh, Rafael Martinez. We do a trivia night at fastest in Chicago and only five people showed up. But yeah. He's an old punk rock dude too. And you know, we knew we've got to put on the show. Oh yeah. Because it's not their fault. Nobody showed up, but they're here. No. So you yeah, gotta, yeah. you gotta yeah. leave, leave it all out on the ice. Right. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta. So we got to Nashville, never been to Nashville before. And there's 250 kids at the show. And it was like, holy shit, what the hell happened? So, you know, we do the show and a couple of nights before we were playing Austin, Texas, and we had some friends in Austin. And Austin's we another to, cool town. I like a very Austin cool town. We wanted to do mushrooms. So our friend got us uh, a Hershey's bar, <laughs> like, you know, the chocolate bar, where yeah. it's like you're supposed to basically do like one, one rectangle. Right. And that's, that's a dose. That's, so, that's my story with edibles. Anytime I fuck around with them, I, oh, this ain't working. So I do another one. Yeah. You know? So, so we, we did, you know, when we we're in Austin, like four of us did it. And so there was like 12 of them. We ate four of them. So there's still eight left. We do the Nashville show. We're like, holy shit, this was amazing. Um, <laughs> one of the other artists puts us up in her house and me and my, my buddy Ian, um, who's the other dude in my group at the time, we're like, let's, let's finish all of them. We decide we're going to have four four squares each. Ah, oh, Jesus! Why do you hate yourselves? I don't know. It was like it was like one of those <laughs> things. Like let's let's see how far we could push this. It was like that stage of touring. Um, you know, let's see how far we could push this. So we did it, and starts kicking in, and I'm like, "Ooh, I got to like go sit down for a second. So I mistakenly went to MySpace to see how people enjoyed the show, and I, I pull up MySpace, and one of the reviews of the show was didn't that place close a year ago? <laughs> so in my head, I flashed, for some reason, I thought of like the scene in um, Tales from the Hood. Have you ever seen that movie? What a, one of my absolute favorites. And I wanted a few people that gave a good review to the second one. I've never seen the second one. The first one's amazing. I'm uh, I, 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 is I, one I, of the greats. I'm relatively friendly with one of the directors, Darren Scott. Uh, okay. When I, I was at the, when I was at Fantasia for the premiere, we just got to be friendly and he's just a big old horror dork so he, he, he real chatty that's real a nice guy so so anyway i like i go to that the ending of that movie and i'm like holy shit we died on our oh, way yeah. here like something <laughs> happened and we died yes, the shit so i come oh, out you're gonna get the shit yeah so i come outside of like the room that i was in and the the woman that put us up she was like the soul singer and she's like in this flowing this gown. Is this is in Nashville. In Nashville. This flowing gown. She has like her hairs out. She's standing in front of a light. It looks like she has like a halo behind her head. And her friend is dressed in like all red with like a black leather jacket. And he's pissed because he has a thing for her. But my other buddy on the road, she has a thing for him. Oh, so man. he's pissed and salty. And like they're both standing there looking at me. Trouble all around. And I'm just like, they're battling for my soul. It's an angel and a demon battling for my soul. So I just like, I was like, I'm out. I like ran out the front door and found my friend who was like just sitting on the front lawn, looking at the clouds, like tripping his balls off. And um, yeah, I made a song about it called Heaven and Hell in Nashville. I'll send it over well, to I'm you. Well, I, I need to, I, I'm definitely going to, I need to check out your music. I was a big fan of Nashville. Nashville, well, you said there were 250 kids at the show, right? Yeah. Well, if that's fine, because Nashville is truly when people talk about it being a great music town, like it's no joke. 
one of my favorite my favorite experiences down there we were staying at the dive motel which is in east nashville which is like the hip side of nashville now mm-hmm. we asked the bartender that's the trick right ask the bartender where's a cool spot to go yeah and he says you got to go to the vfw hall on mm. tuesday they open it a public and a band plays and we go there the place is fucking packed on a tuesday night for this band called the cowpokes who became like my favorite band and they were doing old-timey country like okay. hockey talk and everybody as the dance floor was full of young people old people locals just two-stepping and dancing and having a good time and as someone who has played in rock and roll bands and hosts events and stuff i know how hard it is to get somebody out midweek yeah and the fact that this place was packed it just like it warmed my heart as somebody who does who does enjoy live music that maybe in chicago it ain't what it used to be but it's it still lives on down in nashville because we went and saw the band the next night at robert's western world the cowpokes and all the same crowd came out to see him again like they had groupies and the monday monday night we went to a uh, a Motown dance party at a bar and it was filled with 20 something year olds dancing to Martha and the Vandellas. Wow. That's amazing. Like, but I'm like, not like five people like fucking packed. And I was like, this is the, this town is, I probably hate it. If I live down there, you know, isn't that the way, you know, I'm talking about how oh, great, yeah. I'm talking about how great New York is. You're like, yeah, it's really nice. It's fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, and I say, I want to live in Los Angeles. I, I want to live in 1977, Los Angeles. I don't want to live in 2022, Los Angeles. Yeah, it's it's always era specific, right? Right, um, exactly. Yeah, I'm actually heading out there in like two weeks, just to like get out of town for a little bit. For LA, my first time there. Yeah, it'll be my first time oh. there since like 2007. So it'll be I, interesting. I, we went out there for my birthday, my 41st birthday, since my 40th was uh, during you know the the pandemic. We went out there to we flew out there to go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at the New Bev. Oh wow! But the theater had just reopened. And uh, we did the whole thing. We went to Musso and Frank's. We went to El Coyote. We, uh, you know, did the, the, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood tour. We made it everywhere except Casa Vega. Uh, okay. Truly had a great time. Like, it was, I can't wait to get back out there. I, I love that city. It's a fun time. So, so do I. So do I. Yeah. Have, have you done Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles yet? Yes, I have. Big oh, fan. Big fan. fan. I've, been, I've been promising my daughter we're going to try to go there. Oh, she'll love it. Yeah, so I'm trying. I'm trying to get there for her. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I, I, this has been an absolute pleasure. Dude, this was just this was so much fun. It's just hanging out, chit chatting. It's it's yeah, like man, it's, I'm glad it's, we got to do it. Yeah, this was a blast. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you. I'm glad uh, you got in touch with me. I'm glad I came on. This was great. Thank you for letting me uh, pimp the show. I do appreciate that too. Of course. I mean, thank you for the many hours of entertainment that the show has provided. <laughs> you know, it, it really does. Uh, it means a lot to me when people say that because, you know, there's a countless podcasts out there and there's more than enough podcasts on horror movies. So the fact that people choose ours just means everything to me. It's a great feeling, isn't it? <laughs> so, so yeah. So when, when does the first episode um, of the next season come out? It'll be coming out later this month. I, we're recording it this week. So I imagine sometime, here, you know what? Uh, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go on my phone and I'm going to actually find the schedule. Because <laughs> I'm, because as I'm still the new guy on Halloweenies, I kind of, I let so I, I, I kind of take advantage of that sometimes, where I don't always know everything that's going on. It's one of the, it's one of the new guy perks, though. I, I think so, and I, yeah. uh, I've been a new guy, I've been a new guy for two seasons, and I'll, I'm going to keep leaning into this. I so, think you should. I think you burned see. it. 
Everyone, thank you. I do appreciate that. Let me see if I can find the schedule because I don't think it's been. I I'm looking through Twitter at first. I don't think he's uh, Mike actually maybe posted it yet. My Rothman's domain, like Justin's the you know the quintessential host, and Rothman's like the man behind the scenes. He's the guy like he does all this all the stuff that gets this show you know rocking and rolling and gets people it gets it into people's ears. That's all Rothman, and I always say Dan Caffrey is the heart of the. Uh, the podcast and uh you know and mac is another one who behind the scenes like he's the one who makes sure he's the one who makes sure we show up for <laughs> recordings because he awesome. he's the one who schedules it all uh so the evil dead is going to drop on march 21st excellent and we also have a commentary on cabin fever we're going to have an episode about the 10 best bars in horror of course i'll be on that one and uh, we're going to do a deep dive into the changeling. Excellent. That, that's awesome. Um, I, I actually uh, rewatched um, My Bloody Valentine because of, because of you guys. I hadn't oh, seen that it was in a fun episode. Decades. It's, that's a, it's a good movie. It's a great movie. It's so that's, good. That's one of the best movies of that first wave of slashers because we just covered The Prowler, which should be dropping today or tomorrow. And uh, The Prowler is fine. Like, The Prowler is worth watching, if only because. You got Joe Zito, who goes on to do Friday the 13th, the final chapter. You have mm-hmm. terrific special effects from Tom Savini. He considers it the best work. But the movie itself just doesn't move the way my buddy Valentine does. I really dig that one. That's one of my favorites of that era. Yeah, great likable cast, too, through the whole thing. Absolutely. Hollis. Nice guy, Hollis. Oh, he's the best. <laughs> he's the absolute best. So yeah, so thank you again so much and and call out cultists. Please be sure to check out the Halloweenies podcast if you're a horror fan. Yeah, you, you can find me on it. Twitter at Mike Vanderbilt. I'm easy to find. Find me on Instagram at MA Vanderbilt. Follow me, I'll go. follow you. There you go. I'll I'll put the links in the uh, the show information as well. Perfect. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. That's the episode, man. Thank you to Mike for joining us, and and thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I know it's a little bit different than what we normally do, but I think it was still pretty fun. Uh, If you did like the the conversation, be sure to check out the Halloween's podcast, uh, which is a weekly podcast. I think the new season starts around the end of the month. Evil Dead, classic horror movie, so if you like horror, it's really worth getting into. Uh, And, you know, if you want more of Mike's musings, you can follow him at Mike Vanderbilt on Twitter. So all one word, Mike Vanderbilt. So, peace out.